Hey, welcome in everybody. Welcome to the place to be. My name is D-Wiz. Some call me DJ D-Wiz. Some call me DJ Wiz. And it's really funny that my guest today has a very, very similar name to mine. And sometimes the name, one of the names that I just said just now, they'll call him. And some of the names that they'll call him, they'll call me. And sometimes it just gets confusing. <laughs> but I brought my man on. I, I want to have DJ talk. This is um, our 50th year of celebrating hip-hop. And as we all know, hip-hop started out with the DJ. So I want to have DJ conversation with um, a lot of my peers, a lot of my mentors, guys that I grew up with, guys I watched, guys I listened to on the radio, on record, on TV. Um, and this is the 50th year of hip hop. There was a, I wouldn't call it controversial, but there's an, an interesting documentary that you can actually watch on um, YouTube. It's online right now. And it's called The Founding Fathers. There may be a few Founding Father documentaries or, or um, movies out there, but this one is specific and is tailored towards hip hop and a hip hop DJ. So when you do run into it, uh, hit it and check out the link because it's about now it's probably tailored down to about an hour and 40 minutes worth of hip hop content, DJ content, and probably the beginning of hip hop DJing content. And as we all know, it started out in the Bronx, but there is another story. And on that note, I want to bring in a connoisseur to this story. My man, DJ D-Wiz, everybody. <laughs> What's up, DJ joke. Wiz? Yeah, that, that's our running joke. Isn't it? Well, that's actually how we kind of, you know, you and I got to be pretty, you know, cool buddies. When we finally met each other, you're D-Wiz, you're DJ Wiz. We have a mutual friend, don't we? Yeah, we got a few. We got, we got a few mutual friends, man. It's a small industry, you know what I'm saying? But, uh... Yeah, DJ Vern. Fat shout to DJ Vern. Yes, DJ Vern, uh... Dougie. Oh, we got so many Jesse, we got so many. Yeah, people. we got. Yeah, we're gonna get you into know. the family now. And and I want to bring you on. And I called you a connoisseur to um. I'll call it Queens DJing in the beginning of it, and you're very involved. Behind the scenes and credits and inside the content of this documentary, The Founding Fathers. Why don't you tell us about it? Sure, sure, sure. Well, just. First of all, to build more about the whole Wiz thing, let me just tell you the origins of how I got to DJ Wiz. My name originally, back in the late 1970s when I started DJing as a kid, was the Grand Wizard M.E. That was my name. That was my DJ name. And... um over the years, it just got shortened to Wiz, and I was a DJ, so. That's fair. DJ Wiz was born. That's you know? fair. And Wiz also encompassed who I was as a person. I was like a, an honor student, so I was a Wiz right. intelligently. And I was always gadgety into like toys and electronics and uh, 
pinball. Let's open it up a little bit because, honestly speaking, the term whiz inside our, you know, DJ community, that is a term, you know, grand wizard, you know, uh, the technician. Like, there's always some kind of wizardry or whatever that is attached, not always, but from our era, that was a thing to add some kind of whiz Right. If you were a DJ, it wasn't MCs didn't call himself, you know, Wiz like the Wiz kid, you know. Then he started as a DJ as well, right? Right. So yes. yeah, you were you were. What was your original name? The Grand Wizard M E, and the M E is basically my initials. Right. Yeah. So we, you know, over the years it just got shortened down to Wiz because everybody used to call me Wiz anyway. But my official name eventually became DJ Wiz, shortened from the Grand Wizard M E. So since we're there, I see, you know, you have multiple crates of records, what's called vinyl wax behind you, bro. Um, you know, this is a long story. When a DJ like myself will see something like that, I know what I'm looking at. That's a long story. That's yeah. not, hey, I just went here. No, that's that's decades, what I'm looking decades. at. That's decades. Oh, my God, decades. We're man. in the like 50th said, year now. I started as a kid. You, like... I'm in my mid to late fifties right now. Right. So you're talking five decades. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like right. we're real, real, real we're approaching five decades. I've been doing this. And uh, you know, I wasn't there at the forefront of hip hop. I wasn't there at nineteen seventy three Herc's house, you know, but a few years later. Right. That's when it bit me. So well, tell me about that. So I, I see okay. names I actually had to write down some of them. Pete DJ Jones, Grand Master Flowers, King Charles, DJ Lance, who I personally know, Master D, Disco Twins, fat shout to the Disco Twins. I mean, are these, were these growing up peers of yours or were these guys that you were looking up to? They were guys that I looked up to as a child. I was a kid when these guys were doing their thing. Um, I didn't have equipment. And uh, I wanted to be a DJ. So me looking at guys and, you know, people who I idolized as a kid, people like the Disco Twins, people like King Charles and my partner now, DJ Vernon, um, people like Infinity Machine, New Sounds, all of these mobile DJ groups from back in the days. We idolized these guys. You know, they had... All of these, they had like crates and crates and crates of records all over the place playing in the parks. And they had incredible sound systems made from scratch most of the time. Uh, you know, 18-inch woofers inside of a cabinet. Right. And big horns and tweeters. You know, if y'all may not know what a tweeter is, it's a little speaker about this big that spits nothing but highs. Right. All of the highs. And um, yeah, as a kid, I looked at that stuff and was fascinated and just mesmerized at the power of the DJ. How we brought, we brought the energy to the neighborhood, the crowd, the people. We moved the crowd. And that's what that type of energy and that type of attraction is what made me want to become a DJ. Okay. So now, when I look at documentaries like that or or any kind of information that's like that. And I see, like you said, hey, D, these are the guys that we looked up to. Now, we looked up to those guys, 
But then there's a part in your development where you are one of those guys because you're actually in this documentary with, quote unquote, those guys. So you actually start to get your feet wet, obviously around your area, in your neighborhood, in your community, going out in the same parks, DJing. Were you involved with a DJ crew as well? Yeah, well, when I became a teenager and could actually start going to parties, like house parties or little parties in the neighborhood, um, at small like storefront or like even a, we used to do parties in a St. Gabriel's auditorium, Yeah, you know, which was pretty big. Uh, sorry, not auditorium, St. Gabriel's gymnasium. They would rent the gymnasium out and throw big parties there. So yeah, that was like me getting my feet wet as a teen. DJing for real. But, you know, before I even got to that point, I had to learn how to DJ and I didn't have equipment. So I basically stole my parents' uh, plastic house turntable. Like, this is not. For, Tell the story. For, yeah, you have to understand what I mean by a house turntable. A phonograph. Yeah, basically made of plastic and it's unprofessional. It's the lowest level of turntable. <laughs> and I stole mine. Another one of my boys stole their parents. And we came together and we, uh, you know, MacGyver jimmied a, a, a sound system to, to DJ, basically. One turntable, another turntable, and a house stereo receiver. A receiver basically had the, the radio, the phonograph, and like a, either a cassette player or eight track back in the day. Now I want to uh, really quickly uh, for the audience. I want to um, kind of describe what a phonograph is. It was um, a record player that you were able to put. It would have like a spindle inside, right in the middle of it, where where the whole of the record would go. And back then, you were able to put more than one record on at a time. You were able to put on three, four. Stack stacks of records on at one time and Wiz you could tell me what happened after the end of the record would would come to the end what would happen yeah so it would pick up right and come to the beginning playing spinning and, and the needle is going along the record as it gets to the end and there's no more grooves left there was an uh automatic function and not all turntables had this only some an automatic function where the tone arm would rise up and go back to the beginning. Correct. And then the spindle would automatically drop one new album and then the tone arm would go right back to the beginning of the new album on the phonograph and just start playing. Now, you guys were DJing on that. That type of engineering is not made for doing what you guys were DJing on. And that's why I want to take a second to just illustrate what type of technology you were using back then. So right. like you said, hey, no, D, my dad, my parents had one phonograph, my friend's parents had mm. one phonograph, and right. then we MacGyvered, and then take it away, Wiz. Right, and you know, all of you who don't know who MacGyver is, he basically, you know, it's a TV series of this guy who would, could just fix and make anything out of something, you know? So basically we created our own DJ system 
using those parts. And um, what we did was we also took like some wax paper and some uh, smaller 45 uh, records and put them on the platter so we could learn how to spin back records. We could learn how to spin back. And because um, everybody wanted to be like, you know, Flash. Everybody wanted to go quick and be like Grandmaster Flash. You know, that was that was the that was the um the goal, so to speak. You know, you want you wanted to be able to uh extend that loop, extend that breakbeat and just keep the party going. You know, that's what we saw as a kids. Oh, I can't hear you, D. Something happened. I don't I don't hear you anymore. Can you hear me? My bad. I'm sorry. I had myself on mute because <laughs> okay, you no were problem. talking. Um, my understanding from from one one of the major uh, factors to being a hot DJ or even having a dope crew was having power, 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 power. A system. Sound system, right? The sound system was 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 crucial. Um, they they actually used to have sound DJ sound battles back in the days which mobile dj crew had the biggest and the loudest sound system so there was many challenges uh from like king charles to the versus the disco twins or king charles or the disco twins versus new sound right you know sometimes it could be more than one crew battling another crew it could be like three or four crews battling at once you know, very exciting because uh, when these battles happened, and, and, and mind you, this is before rap really became big. You know, this rap is not anything right now, okay? This is all music and dancing. Um, so when these crews battled, it was a big deal because these usually happened in the parks. And everybody could go. It was free. So whole families and people would come from outside of the, the neighborhood to come to these uh, battles. And it would be like a whole day event. You know, people would come out, bring chairs, coolers. You know, it was a big deal. Um, Cops were not involved at all, huh? Yeah, well, well, you know. I mean, because I, I, one of the things I see people say, they let us do our thing. It was our neighborhood. Because, all right, yeah. In, in the Founding Fathers documentary, Fab Five Freddy particularly said that. In the, he said, you know... That's what I'm referring to. Yes, they let, they let the DJs do their thing because this was where everybody was at. So it actually made the cops' jobs easier. They know that everybody's in one place not causing any trouble elsewhere. And all they had to do was pretty much safeguard and protect that area, which it really didn't need it because everybody was so um, entwined in the music and the atmosphere, you know? It was such a feel-good time. And that was all feel-good music. It was all dance music. So everybody was just out there sweating and getting busy. You know, they used to call it booty land because <laughs> everybody was shaking their booty and rubbing their booty. So from there... I get, now I'm going to just mention a bunch of names from that area that I get that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. I get Salt and Pepper. I get Kid and Play. 
I get Kwame. I get Disco Twins. I get so many that come from that area, and you guys were all connected, specifically the Idol Makers, the Herbie Lovebug click and crew. Now, did this come generate from this DJ party queens uh you know movement that was going on or was was this something totally separate we're gonna start a rap group or a rap click because you guys ultimately became a click how did we get there well it it wasn't east umhurst origin for the click to happen but i would say that from king charles who lived in East Elmhurst, um, even the Disco Twins who lived in Astoria. Like, these guys all played in 127 Park regularly. So, Herbie, Herbie Lovebug, who lived a couple of blocks from King Charles, and he lived like two blocks from 127 Park, he was up in there, and, and he was very much into the whole music thing, break beats, and all of that. So, you know, every crew that came from our part of town, which is East Elmhurst, Queens, um, was there to witness this. So Herbie, um, Eric B is from our neighborhood. He was right in the middle of it. Wow. Um, Coogee Rap. That's right. Polo. These guys were all there. Um, Ron Lawrence. Speaking of Ron Lawrence, Ron Lawrence's brother was also part of the origin of how we got all into this because Ron Lawrence's brother was a big time DJ known as DJ Dance Master. <coughs> Excuse me. Right. DJ Dance Master, not only did he have an incredible sound system, he was also a club DJ. He would play at Studio 54 and all of the hot disco clubs in the city. Regines, all of these big, um, hard-to-get-in to clubs. He was part of that elite circuit, being able to go in there and DJ. Um, but also, Ron's brother, Dance Master, had this incredible sound system that was custom made. The only custom made DJ set at that time by a gentleman named Richard Long. Richard Long created custom made speakers and, and created the DJ console. This guy created that. Which is documented on Founding Fathers. You guys said this yeah. guy actually made the first DJ coffin and I think DJ Vern said how much it weighed. It yeah. was extremely heavy. Yep. Yep. It, it was because you got to understand, since these are like prototypes, there was, you know, you, you learn how to make things more efficient as you go. Yeah. And that coffin that... Richard Long made was sturdy because that equipment was very expensive and it was just super quality. 
you know it was super duper quality um i hope people go watch the documentary and see what it actually looks like um but it, it that photograph that's an actual uh, photograph of the actual first dj coffin in the yeah. documentary of the first richard long console yes yeah, i mean i've seen the photograph in that, the documentary that's yeah. that's it that's richard long's console yep richard long i i'm not gonna say because i can't verify this I, i'm not gonna say that dance masters console was the first dj console right i just know that Richard Long created the first console. Yes, and, that's yes, that's what you guys and and, and dance sight in there. Yep. So sp- since we're there, tell me about Ricky Grant. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know interested what? about this mixer that DJ Vern was describing. He said because you just mentioned about MacGyver. He said this guy actually figured out how to create the crossfader, and that actually called Vern afterwards. And spoke to him about that. He said, D, prior to that, you know, the DJ mixer had nothing but knobs that you would mm-hmm. see that's pretty much on a mixing right. board at a studio you would see. Um, did you know Ricky Grant? No, no, I was too young. Remember, like, Vern's a few years older than me. He's my DJ partner now, but I was a kid and I would go to the park to watch Vern and guys like Ricky Grant. You know, they were all in these in these DJ crews. And I was up there just a little kid wanting to learn how and get some equipment like that and learn how to do what they were doing. So Vern is, you know, he was there to witness and knew Ricky Grant and all of that. So I didn't know Ricky. Right. You know, I just know the legend of him. Guys like him and Infinity Machine. These all these people that had this equipment. My closest interaction, all of that, which was an incredible uh, blessing was being friends with Ron Lawrence and having access to that Richard Long equipment. We had access to that. Wow. We, we, it was right in Ron's house in the basement. Like we got to go touch it. Right. Like we didn't, we didn't DJ on it, but we got to actually see it and wow. touch it. Right. And it was state. It was, it was above state of the art because there was nothing like it. Like this is this is not something that people could just go in the store and buy. You know, you had to know this guy. Because he was only making custom equipment back then, am I right? You guys cite that right. you guys say that in the founding fathers. That's right. That's right. That's right. It was all custom made. And you know, these speakers and the coffin, everything looked like it was from the future. Everything. So how do we get into the business? Because we're at the parks, we're DJing, we're in crews, uh, mm-hmm. new sounds, you know, like you said, Infinity Machine, Disco Twins, there's a lot going on. Run DMC from the other side of town, Hollis, Queens. They weren't even out yet. Really? It's that early? Yes, yeah, this is way before that. I had DJ Hurricane on the other day and I spoke to him and he was telling me about, in his neighborhood, about also on how things, the DJ circuit was Mm -hmm. in the Hollis area as well. And he told me how uh, Jam SJ was involved in some of those crews around uh, the way. If you guys actually uh, check out the DJ Hurricane interview I did with him, it's actually on my YouTube channel as well. Uh, Fat shout to DJ Hurricane, DJ4, Beastie Boys, I mean, DMC, 
afros. I mean, you know, again, and that's why I'm asking when it comes to this Queens thing. So you guys, these guys like Pete DJ Jones, they must have been playing a variety of music because you guys talk about Soma Kusa. You guys talk about, and I asked Hurricane that the other day, what made uh, Love is the Message such a Queens record? Why is that record so important for a Queens DJ? Well, we got to talk about um, the group uh, and all of the hits that they made prior to that. You understand? Like, this is the same. You got to understand, this is the same group that made the Soul Train thing. You know what I mean? Like, they made big records, big sounds, big horns, disco, like, instrumentals, heavy instrumentals and basses. That being said, you guys zeroed in on Love is the Message. Yeah, when Love is the Message came out, you got to understand, music was different back then, okay? So we had a lot of funk, we had a lot of soul, uh, real important and varying styles of black music. Like the songs and the artists varied so much, but it was all original. MFSB, The Sounds of Philadelphia, they had some incredible music. Love is the Message musically was different than everything out at that time. And it was a party song. You know, from the beginning, when they're singing, you know, the, the, the women are singing, you know, love is, love is the message that I bring to you. It's, it's just a harmonious song. I love when people break down and analyze music like that. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. When you I actually mean, get into it and you... You you know because you're a musician. Bro, break it down. We're helping... Break it down. To, ...to listen this way. So if you were to go on YouTube right now, anybody that's listening, if you were to go onto YouTube right now and type in Love is the Message, The Sounds of Philadelphia, MFSB, all right, the song is going to come up. You may get a whole bunch of different versions because... The actual song varies in, from, from one length to another length. They, and they remixed the song. They extended the song. And they're all different. Yeah. All different layers, long instrumentals. Like, they, this record is so incredible. But I'm, I don't want to get too far off track. But from the singing part, the beginning singing, harmonious harmony of the women singing, love is... Love is the message that I bring to you. When they go to the breakdown and the women go, love is... You see, in that D, you know... Stay there. Go. <laughs> you know when they start breaking down and they start taking you to different sections of a song. Yes. This is not something that they do today. Right. Songs are like an adventure. It's like, it's like we're really taking you on a journey. You know, this is like what real big bands and orchestras did. You went on a journey musically. So once they got to one high crescendo breakdown, 
Love is it it goes high, it comes down, and then it shoots right back up with a whole nother flavor. That sax solo, my brother. Yes. So yes. you you're talking about everything else. You haven't even gotten there yet. You haven't even gotten to the sax solo yet. Yeah, no, no. I'm just I'm just I'm just starting. I'm just starting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you we're just like getting to thirty thousand. Right? <laughs> so, you know, there was nothing out there like it. Understood. Yeah, I understand. This it. is yeah. why the song was so big. Cause that journey, when you heard that when you heard that song in those speakers in the park. I understand, yeah. You know, I wish I was oh my god. Like, could D, like like D <clears throat> for real. That song in the park with like six heavy birthday speakers like just out there with that with that incredible band and, and bass and the and the sax like all of what I'm saying to you yes you feel that in your soul <laughs> you know something about that song as well and you know you notice as a DJ and we could talk about this also briefly it's the mixing of the song Right. You know, as you know, Wiz, there are some songs you put on, you actually have to give it a little boost, a little yeah. bass, or come right. down on something, some gain, etc. You have to, like, you know, right. manipulate the that song was, within yeah. the mix coming from a song, depending on how that was. But everything about that song cuts straight through that sax solo. When it, it just, oh my God, as you're mentioning yeah. it, I'm thinking about being in a park and as you said, birth is just that energy. Yeah. Give you that energy, man. Like, yeah. So that's that energy that I'm describing to you from that song is what made it so unique and so special. And because a lot of those mobile DJs were in Queens, that's why it was a big deal. But but hold on, it wasn't just Queens. Even even in um Brooklyn too. Brooklyn too, because they was talking about DJ Lance Planet. Yeah. You know, DJ Lance played like like it was just a big song for that period of time. There wasn't a lot of songs that had the effect in New York City like that. You know, again, this that the the sound and the tone of music back then was very melodic, up down with the bass line and just the driving. Right. You know, this that's that's what disco was. It was that doom doom. But that rhythm, you know, that rhythm, you just you just had to move. Yes. But imagine that, you know, if, and anybody that doesn't know speakers, after you watch Founding Fathers and you see the size of these speakers, or just think of going to a concert in any arena and standing in the front <laughs> or by the stage by those speakers. And you know, as and you mentioned it, that intro, even after the the women are singing, when you get to the part where it's just oh, hold on, hold on, D, D, wait, 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 let me, let me, let me. That part right there was an edit, but that was a special edit. Well, you mentioned that about having different versions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. The original had that, but it only went once. They're like, dun, 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 dun. They, they go right back singing. Oh, really? It doesn't go into the into no. the sax solo. No, 
it goes they right back. That's, that's in the singing part. Yeah. Wait a minute. So yep. okay, the version that I know. So right, I just now I just take all of those hits away and I do, do it one time. In my mind, it would go straight into the sax solo. And you're saying, Nah, D, the original doesn't do that. It goes to singing. Is there a sax solo in the original? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it just it goes into it differently. You see, but that's what I'm saying. Like the original album version uh, was longer than like Vern described it. The 45 was short. Like that that was a short edit. I remember the album version and um, the actual part with the sax and all of that. It was a little shorter than um, like that 12-inch version. And the one of the DJs was... that we play. Right. And th but look, hold on. There's even a, a longer extended version on a special Philadelphia Classics TSOB. Like it's, I forgot how long this version is, but the baseline part is much longer. Like much longer. It's just straight groove for dancing. No horn, no nothing. Like it's 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 incredible. It's incredible. So since I could see the passion, so music for you, it means a lot to you, and I could tell it does. Um, how yeah. far do we go back with with music for you? Like, <clears throat> well, music started for me when I was a kid living in Corona, Queens. Before I moved to the Hearst, I lived in Corona, and you know, one of my older sister's uh, boyfriends used to come and play the piano. We had a piano in, in our house. And he used to get on there and play the piano, and he taught me how to do some little stuff on the piano. I didn't know how to read music, but I learned how to play what he played, you know, just little little stuff like that. And also, that was my that well, that was my intro to want to learn how to play, and and do music. But I had five older sisters, yeah, okay, and my dad had a record collection, and all my sisters had records. So I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of music. I mean, my dad, God rest his soul, he had a great ear for music. I mean, my dad used to buy uh, all of the other pop, uh, popular music at the time. People like Johnny Mathis. Okay. Uh, Burt Backrack. Mm. Um, Johnny Cash. Right. You know, all of these type of people. My dad had the album. Um, <clears throat> Were you curious to some of this music at the time? When you were growing up? They, they would play it. You didn't have to be curious. It's like D. My yeah, dad was like, playing I'm it there. in the crib. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it right there. I'm listening. So I'm learning. I'm yeah. learning about the music. I'm learning about all of that. I mean, listen. When I first heard Soul Makosa, it was like 71, 72. Wow. Something like that. And, um, and the reason I remember that record so vividly it's because my one of my older sisters was getting married and at the wedding reception they had dj like they had a dj playing and that record was like the hottest record out at the time right and it was in them loudspeakers too and they were rocking oh my god so makosa was so huge Woo. now you see what you're talking about right now with the diversity that's a wide wide gap between Somacosa and uh, Love is the Message. Right. Like, we listened to that much of a wide right. range. 
of music. You know, you're like, oh, D, I also grew up in a household. My dad was listening to, you know, Johnny, you know what I'm saying? Like, cash. Listen, listen, I'll name just a couple of songs. Scorpio, Dennis Coffey. Right, the break beats. Big, big, big record. Um, What's his name? Jose Feliciano. You know what I mean? Come yeah, on, and we use all those breaks. We, we use a lot for those break beats. Yeah, a lot of those records did. Be- Simon D. Bra was like the biggest. Forget it. When I was a kid, Bra was Bra and Somacosa. Forget about it. Those two, untouchable. How did DJs discover these break beats? Because Wiz, again, a lot of these, some of these bands weren't big like. MFSB or whatever. They just weren't huge. They would have a one... Okay, for example, Apache. You know, for example, was that a huge band that had, you know what I'm saying, a, a bunch of hit records like a no. Sly and the Family Stone? You no. get my point? <clears throat> Not at all. But we I discovered that know. record, and it became right. Right. a staple in hip-hop. You get my point? Absolutely. But, but this is the thing. You see... Making a record was such a big deal back then. So anybody that made a record, you were already successful because you made a record. You know, it wasn't like today where somebody could just cut or, you know, go in their bathroom and record a song. You know, you had to you had to have money, and you had to have access, which was super hard to come by back then. So if you were blessed enough and lucky enough to actually record a song. Somebody was going to listen just because you said you made a record, period. It wasn't common. It was not taken lightly for any group to say they made a record. And, you know, you, you mentioned groups like, you know, Sly and the Family Stone. These guys were huge, okay? Huge. But, you know, somebody like, you know, the Incredible Bongo Band, you know, like these guys, I don't know where they're from. That's my point. You know? I don't know where they're from. That's the point. They they made two songs. That's my whatever, point. Whatever, and and them songs caught somebody's ear. Right. You know, but that was the way it was back then. Everybody who wanted to record, if you got lucky enough and you, you record one song, two songs, some some DJ was gonna play it. If, if there was a black DJ, right, they gonna try it. Everybody. That's one thing I'll say. Started way back and never left. DJs breaking records. I don't know who the first person was to play Apache. I don't know who the first person was to play Soul Makosa. I don't know who the first person was to play Simon D. Bra. But these songs, you know, whoever played them, if they liked them, they're going to play it again. And back then, it wasn't like we had a bunch of radio stations. We didn't. We had a lot of uh, AM stations, like, you know, we had WWRL that was like the station right. back in the days. And that, that station played everything. There is a story I've seen on a DJ documentary on how Apache came to the U.S. or something like that. I have to mm-hmm. refresh my information yeah. on that. It sounds familiar to you as well, right? Yeah, yeah, there was a yeah. DJ that was over there in Africa. Was it that? It was a Soma Cool. It was Apache, right? Am I correct? It was. I have to refresh my memory on this, but I did see something somewhere. I think Apache might have been in the UK or something like that. Apache somewhere overseas. A yeah. DJ heard it and brought it over here. 
as far as so Makosa, that might have been from Africa. You know? It was it may have been so Makosa I'm, I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um yeah. and you mentioned about the record business and making a record. So obviously, you know, you come also from the record bu- business and making music and making a record. So how did that come to be? When did you decide I want to be in the music business and how did we get to kid and play? Well, after, you know, my intro into DJing and hip hop, breaking my parents' turntables and learning how to DJ on house plastic turntables and a stereo receiver, you know, I actually was gifted two techniques, turntables, SLD ones from my dad. And, uh, I also got a mixer, a, a Gemini mixer. Um, long story short, <coughs> excuse me. I was able to just keep practicing with the equipment, buying records uh, from the local record shop, also traveling to downstairs records downtown and just keep getting good at my craft and learning how to uh, go back and forth and, uh, you know, just trying to keep that hip hop break going and going. And this is way before Kid and Play. This is I'm in a group called the B Boys back back here. You know, this is a long time before Kid and Play. You know, I was in a group called the Turnout Brothers before Kid and Play, um, which had Kid. Kid was in my group. I was the DJ, and Kid was in my group. You know, we're talking about end of '81, '82. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we were lucky enough. That group, the Turnout Brothers, was lucky enough to get some light on a radio show, a local radio show here in the city on 105.9 with the blessings of C. Divine, the mastermind, and just a lot of superstar, the world's famous Supreme Team, which was major. They played us on their sh- They played our demo, our routine on their show. That was kind of like the beginning of the bug wanting to do records. Um, you know, of course, this is after Rapper's Delight. You know, Rapper's Delight and King Tim III was already made at that time. But still, to go to a studio, to afford studio time, to make a record, oh, it was my... like unheard of. Right. It was unheard of back then. In 80, 81, 82, that was like, come on, man. It's like a it's like a, a miracle, like a straight miracle to get to a studio and, and pay for studio time and all of that. This wasn't happening. So how do we get here to to kid and play? Because that, as you said, hey, I was in a group and kid was one of the MCs. I was a DJ. Mm-hmm. You guys went on to be one of right. you know the eighties biggest groups of that time. Right. You know, kid and play came out in eighty seven with last night's on the select records. But I mean, in what happened is I know Herbie and the super lovers, which was the, the group in our neighborhood, along with the turnout brothers, they actually recorded a song, um, called the lover's law way back then. Um, you know, people would get their money together and pay for studio time and cut a song. There's no way to play it really. You know, unless you were blessed enough to have somebody like Mr. Magic or Red Alert um, or the Supreme Team play your song. Um, But 
airtime was at such a premium back then. We didn't have hip hop stations. We didn't have none of that. Hip hop was only heard underground radio, like between two in the morning and five in the morning. That's right. <laughs> on the weekend. Yes. On Friday the- and Saturday only. Exactly. Not Friday, Saturday, and Saturday. Yeah, on the weekend. Right. Yeah, man. So. You know, and it would alternate. Red Alert would be, I think, on Friday, or Chuck Chill Out on Friday, on Red Alert would be on the next night. Right. Just just getting exposure back then was almost impossible because there were no outlets. You know, you had to be established and your record had to be banging <laughs> if you were going to get any airtime because there was no other way to get your record out. It just wasn't there. During that time, I remember, mm-hmm. as you said, it would come in at 2 a.m., um, mm-hmm. I used to stay up like most young DJs and tape, um, you know, and back then it was commercial free because I think they just figured that no one was up during that time and Red Alert and Chuck Shellett would send their, they were called reels back into the radio station and they would play them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, Latin rascals every now and then, um, would do, uh, some mix shows as well. Um, I do remember the first time. I heard a kid and play record. It was the first one. It was last night. Uh, changed it all. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, as a DJ, me hearing it is coming from a breakbeat. You know, I was like, "It's hello!" Like it's coming from that entire. I remember that that mm-hmm. that series of breakbeats on that uh, the super super disco breaks or whatever. And I remember that breakbeat. I was like, "Ooh!" And you know, you know, Wiz. That mm-hmm. was a popular thing for for producers would take breaks that DJs would you know play around in the parks as MCs would uh, uh, rap on and they would bring it inside the studio and build on that and put a baseline to it and just like kind of like remake it. But that record specifically, Herbie or you guys didn't add to it. You kind of kept it naked with just right. the breakbeat record and just raps <laughs> on it. Every now and then, you know, you would hear some um, chords come in, you know, I think when Kit was rapping and saying things, but you guys left that kind of stripped down. Was that deliberate? You know, were you involved with that from a DJ perspective? No, I was not involved in that. I was not even down with Kit and Play at that time. I came after that. Yeah, so what it was was Herbie got the deal for Kit and Play uh, and, you know, getting deals back then was a single basis. Like, you know, it was single. You get one single, you may get another single. You have to prove yourself. You didn't just get an album deal. You know, Nobody got that. That was early. Yeah. That was experimental. Yeah, so, right. They were scared. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you had to prove yourself. Word. You had, to, you had to prove yourself worthy to get an album deal. So each single Kid and Play put out rows like from the first single to the next single to the next single and then like okay you guys can do an album because each one did better than the other one um but as for last night in production herbie had a crew of producers uh throughout his uh tenure as producer of herbie's machine you know that's why it's idol makers idol makers herbie's machine right so but one of the first, and who's also credited as producer along with Herbie on last night, is DJ Quicksilver, who was the DJ for the Super Lovers. I've heard that name back in the di- back in the day. I've heard Salt speak that name. 
Yeah, I've heard Vernon. Quicksilver was a neighborhood legend as far as a DJ. He was one of my brothers, one of my peers, um, and he was incredible. He was incredible. He was he was like a real mad scientist. You know, I'm a wizard. This guy was definitely a mad scientist. Yeah, I've heard that. I think even Jose, I, yeah, Quicksilver. Fast yeah, shout Quick, to Quicksilver. Yeah, Quicksilver. He's behind a lot of Herbie's yeah. sound and production physically. Am I right? He was. He had a lot of um, creative uh, genius to how he put things together. But Herbie's talent, why Herbie is the man, is he refined things to make sense. Where a lot of DJs would go overboard and put too much stuff. Herbie would ask this, ask that. Arrange. Oh, really? Herbie wasn't the arranger. Herbie could arrange things in a more... Uh, popular, palatable way that people liked. You know, Herbie was really good at arranging things. That's how. That's where his producing skills showed. And um, you know, knowing where to drop things, knowing where this should be, knowing where that should be, take that out, put this in. You know, right. Herbie. That was Herbie's gift. You know, and how to mix, how things should sound sonically. Herbie was a master. At that, I mean, Herbie went to audio school for that. Like he he learned this at school, but he also had flavor, you know, coming from 127 and, and the park jam, you know. But also, oh, okay. And you mentioned Quicksilver, and I mentioned the Super Lovers. Fun fact: Quicksilver was the DJ for the Super Lovers. They also won a rap battle contest at the Disco Fever in the Bronx. They came in like second or third place in the Bronx. And I'm talking like 81, 82. That means they went against some Bronx heavyweights yeah, at that time, went, yeah. bro. Yeah, man. It was a Cold Crush Brothers. I'm just like, you know, like... I don't, yeah, I don't know who was all in it, but they won. Like, like third, <sighs> second or third place. They got a trophy and everything. Right. There's a picture of it somewhere, actually. I, I saw... That picture posted on some special BET had one time. I'm like, how did they get that picture? I don't. But they didn't even mention what it was. I knew what it was. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> like, Crazy. I know what that is. Look at that picture. But yeah. Tell me, how was it DJing, touring as a DJ in that late 80s going into the 90s era because for me you know wow i mean that's the that's my you know late high school years arsenio hall which we're going to talk about uh you just had so much going on and it was fresh and new stuff mtv raps kind of just started ralph mm -hmm. mcdaniel was midway he started way before that but you also have an affiliation there like you were really planted two feet in by this time am i right like by the time kid and play you're touring like i, said, I mentioned ralph mcdaniel who is instrumental just in i think urban video in general period extremely would you agree yeah i mean ralph instrumental I think uh, <clears throat> Ralph McDaniels, the creator of Video Music Box, is probably responsible for 
I don't even know what the percentage would be, but without Ralph McDaniels and Video Music Box, this culture might not even exist. Yes, that's the point. Yeah. So during that time, you have that. You again, you have MTV Raps. You guys like Spring Break back then was a huge, big, big thing. What was touring life as a DJ? In the late '80s, I wanna I wanna just go back because you know you mentioned Spring Break and your MTV raps and all of that stuff. That you know you're talking like '89, '80, you know whatever. Remember, Video Music Box started in 1983. Oh yeah, it that's why I mentioned. Like I said it was much earlier. I'm no, speaking in the I'm time saying. when you were touring as a DJ. Okay, good. But I just I want to I just want to preface all the way up because. Running them came out before us, right? Run, run, run DMC and your MTV raps really changed everything because your MTV raps took stuff global. Okay, it took it took hip hop global. Um, you know, movies like Wild Style and um, of course the the Fresh Fresh tour. Uh, you know, Beach Street, all of these, all of these movies, Crush Groove. Um, because of that globalization of hip hop, us going on tour was incredible and always surreal to me because rap was still new, like as far as going around the country and going around doing what we love to do. Yeah. Like that's so incredible. As a as a DJ, getting the DJ for kid and play, um I'm still baffled at just how incredible those times were. Everything was so fresh and new, D. Right. Like everything was fresh. Break it down. Like it Nobody saw anything like that back then. Like it was all brand new, especially as far as kid and play. Our look and our presentation was brand new. The hip hop with the dancing, the style, the flat tops, the crispy uh, Nikes, the, the the two hype shirts. I had a damn shirt. It was too damn hype. All of it was so brand new, and you know we went, we were blessed because of Herbie to go on the road and open for groups like Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper were big at this time. You know, Salt and Pepper were platinum. Right. We were opening. Uh, we toured with them and Keith Sweat. You know, so you're talking 88. You know, this is before the album Too Hype. Before all of that. You know? But that was my first taste. And uh, I would say even just doing the clubs, before we got to do the arenas, doing the clubs was amazing, too. We were doing, you know, a whole bunch of clubs in one night. You know, oh, you're playing here. Oh, you're playing there. You know, it was it was just surreal. Did you venture off as a DJ as well outside of doing the artist thing with the guys, with the group? Did you venture off and do, hey, I'm DJing at this club this particular night in this city after an after party, et cetera? Did you venture off and do that stuff as well? Not a lot. Not back then. Not back then, because you got to understand, back then, that wasn't necessarily a big thing back then. That happened later, in the 90s. You know, that happened later. Back when we were, were getting large, pre-Too Hype, Too Hype, um, 
it was more like we did our show and after that we're going to have fun <laughs> right. basically you know what i'm saying it, it, we were so young be like every like i said everybody was green it was all it was new. new bro it was new it was all new i mean listen we had fans we'd go hang out with the fans right girls That's right whatever you know what i'm saying so and like you said no this is you at this what 18 am i late teens early 20s or what is this for you i was in my early 20s when all of this was going on yeah very early 20s um yeah i'm i'm like 21 22 i'm young so now something happens and you get connected to you know who was the biggest iconic tv show late night tv show at the time arsenio hall um, yeah. Tell me how this happens. How do you get connected to our Narsenio Hall talk show and have it and have a DJ spot there? Hey, all right. Ironically enough, uh, this is during the time we're kid and player in LA. We're doing the LA thing, okay? We're living in LA. We're uh, doing house party, house party two. So it's like ninety, like nineteen ninety ish, and um. That the house party two was being made at the time, and um, Kid and Play actually, you know, we're doing TV performances everywhere because House Party was already out and done. So these guys are mega at that time. Um, luckily, we did an episode of a TV show called The Party Machine, and. We didn't perform. We actually were just guests on the show. Okay? Um, the Party Machine was like a prototype similar to um, MTV, uh, whatever. I forgot. The Club show. MTV or something Club like that. MTV. Club MTV. Downtown Judy Brown. It was similar to that, except it was Mia Peoples as the host. Right. The host. So we were guests on there. And just lucky enough... Arsenio and his production just asked me if I wanted to be their DJ. Call it God's timing, whatever it was. They right. liked my personality. They liked my look. And uh, because prior to that, they had an actor who was hosting DJing along with Nia. And um, I guess they wanted somebody that was authentic and they, they asked me. So I'm like, sure. What did that entail? To host and DJ. Well, oh, you, you were hosting. Yeah. Oh, you weren't physically. You were. You were one. You were alongside Near Peoples at the time. I was alongside Near Peoples, and it was more like throwing it, introducing artists. You know, because back then we weren't really allowed to play stuff on TV. We were not allowed. Uh, right. For copyrights and uh, royalties. It's and the all same that. way. We were not allowed. Same so, way. I remember there was one segment I asked, could I at least record like I'm DJing? You know, can I can I act like I'm doing something? Yeah. So I did that with um I I was cutting up a break beat uh Save the World. Remember that break? Of course. Save the World. And I and I threw that into uh You Can't Play With My Yo Yo, because that's the break beat underneath it. So I was like I, I transitioned like that and that was like my only actual DJ segment on that show ever 
you know everything else was just like a throw to and introduce because they couldn't clear them yeah they couldn't clear it like every song and video that was played on tv you had to get clearance for ahead of time same way today yeah so that's that's why you You know know, when i would send send stuff into a network you know that was i would edit for salt and pepper whatever uh anything i sent in any music edit it had to be cleared i mean and you know whiz dave some stuff hasn't been cleared you know particularly i remember one time i had uh, well Charlotte and I, Salt and I had like a, a gunshot in something that was going to be, you know, it was a part, you know, that's a part of our coach. That's part of, you know, you know, party, things like that. And, you know, one of the networks was like, no, nah, you got to remove it. And, you know, to your point about everything, everything has to be cleared when it comes to um, network television. Yep. And they're not going to, as you know, they're not going to pay. You're like, you're saying to yourself, hey. I want to play some records. They're like, yeah, but you know what? That 10 seconds of a record that you want to play? costs $60,000. And that next record you want to play after that? $40,000. And that next... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, man. So, right. So, you were doing a lot of the hosting back then. Yeah. Yeah, it was me and Nia. I I interacted with the, the dancers and the artists. I would interview artists. Same thing. Yeah, it was fun. It was, Did you move was, to LA during that time? Yeah, I was. Li- we were already living there. We were already living there doing House Party too. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. It was an amazing time to to live in LA and just for hip hop and the energy. Again, even though you know House Party was already done, we were hot. We were real hot back then. You know, because of House Party and just because you know we were already around the country several times right. with public enemy and making those appearances on all these other shows can play were like a household name and also we had the cartoon and the uh comic book all of this stuff was all around that same time you know right now i've seen you i uh, was in you know the last 10 20 years um djing out outside of an artist's you know, uh, zone where it's been DJ Wiz. You've been, you know, in New York City Club. I've seen you at M1. I've seen you on cruises uh, DJing, you know, as yourself, you know, just here featuring, you know, DJ Wiz, etc. Um, Do you like, which do you prefer, DJing on stage for an artist at a show or DJing in the clubs, i.e. as it is back in the days on the block? Well, I mean, they're both fun they're, they're they're different i enjoy both djing solo as dj wiz would probably always be more fun and more involving because i get to interact with the crowd i i get to interact with the crowd directly as opposed to djing with an artist and basically just dealing with their music um you know, it's fun, though, because the crowd still is involved either way. You know, wh- whatever artist it is, you know, the, the crowd and the audience is going to engage in that person's song. And it's still an energy that I get to be a, a part of. Right. But when it's just me, I'm creating that energy with whatever I play. So that's always going to be, like, more exciting to me. Um, you know, when you mentioned M1 
M15 when I was uh, I had a created my own night and residency at this club Lower Manhattan uh, M15. It was called the Video Mix Party, and uh, I was basically DJing with music videos, which te- the technology that it took to do that was it was very early when we started that in 2006. Can I hop in right here? Sure. At 2006. So I was one of <laughs> the attendants at these this, these famous parties that uh, DJ Wiz would do. And probably every known DJ in the New York metro area, I'm not talking about, when I say metro, not just the five boroughs, you know, Philly, uh, New Jersey, would come to this party and I would see all the DJs. It would be like a DJ reunion. And you know, Wiz, I don't know if I've seen any other, within my, you know, tenure of DJing, any other DJ that was ever able to have a DJ function every single time that this DJ function is around. And we all, we all look forward to it coming. We all look forward to this M15 party coming up. Because we know we're going to see the rest of our peers there. And not only see our peers there, you guys were so gracious enough. Hey, D, you want to go rock? Hey, uh, hey Scratch, you want to go rock? Hey, Vern, you want to go rock? I mean, you guys made it such a DJ-friendly place. And it only just didn't attract DJs. New York's nightlife would be there. The elites would be there. Like, how did you guys, how did you and, you know, whomever worked with you with that event, how did that, how did you capture that? Well, it was a team effort. It was, it definitely wasn't just me. Um, all I did was really uh, secure the spot. Initially, it was an experiment. Um, and we just kept it going. Uh, I had to create a team and the team that did the effort to make this last as many years as it did, you know, it started with the creator himself, Ralph McDaniels. I'm like, Ralph, I want to do this night, but I can't do it without you. You're the king of videos, you know? So would you do this with us? He's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, I mentioned my partner, DJ Vern. Vern was down automatically. I mean, me and Vern was already doing events together on his huge sound system, just DJing wherever. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, I asked my brothers, Teddy Ted and Special K. The oh, they were involved with the promotion of this with M5 as well? Wow, you had legends were, with you. They were, they were part of So that's what it I'm made saying. made sense. So I, I understand. Had, I had established, you know, people that I looked up to be a part of this, you know? And then I had two hosts. I mean, Spinderella, everyone. Yeah, I mean... If people were in town, because Dee Dee wasn't living here at the time, but if she was in town, she was coming through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, her and I would come off the rope together and like, yo, you're going, she, she, there's times when we would literally come off the bus together and she would tell me about, yo, they're having a party tonight, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to check you out there or whatever. And the thing about it is we, at that time in the mid 2000s, you know, everything was a little bit pretentious and, you know, the, the club scene that wasn't changed. Right. Our party was so different and it wasn't that. It was just regular, you know, we didn't need bottle service. 
there was no VIP. No, we were ordering and chicken wings. Free. And it was free. Yeah, we were ordering food. Bottle service, we're right. greasy. Right. But I'm saying <laughs> that's what was going on at the time. That's what was going on in the city. Um, we were against that. We just wanted to really have fun. And the main reason why I wanted to do this party was because our era of hip hop was not being represented properly. They would not play videos from the late 80s or the 90s. It's like they just discarded right. our era. So I'm like, yo, this is bull crap. We got to remind people who we are. Um, you know, when they play classic hip hop on the radio, it was lunch hour for 30 minutes. Like, right. who's listening to that? That's right. You know, so I'm not going to let them. I'm at work. Us. Right, right, exactly. So this good hip hop and these legends, we're going to shine. And like they said, the revolution will be televised. That was my whole thing. I'm like, we're going to show this good stuff. And, you know, I corral the troops. I got Ralph. I got the awesome two. I got. Man, boy, I've seen kid. Grandmaster Cass. Like, I've seen every yeah. single founding father in yeah. hip hop there and generations on from there. Yeah, Cool Herc, Melly Mel, they were all regulars at this spot. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a who's who. It was a who's who. Funk Master Flex would pop in every now and then, you know, special occasions, because um, Flex was wanted all over the city at that point. And there's no VIP or anything like that, right? No. We were just... No. You walk in, and you're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. All you just, you know, just have your ID, and just come out and rock with us, you know? We... But that it's all about love of what we do and love of these people and celebrating that era and celebrating these legends. Um, you know, Evil D, Love Bug Starsky, uh, D Nice, everybody used to yeah. come through, man. Everybody was coming through. And um, you know, the video mix party made sure that you remember this era. Like Ralph would come in there and start playing, you know. Ralph will play the the the, the battle from Wild Style. You know what I'm saying? Ralph yes. Right you know, that's the type of stuff that we won't see otherwise, though. You know right. what I mean? Like, who's playing that? They're not going to play that on TV. They're not going to play that on BET, um, uh, what you call it, uh, Rap City. No. They won't play that. You, you know what pissed me off? And this is, this is really another reason why. I, I remember watching Rap City one day. And they say, hey, we're going to take you to the old school throwback jam for, of the day. It was a DMX song. I was like. Yeah. I remember when radio started doing that. I remember when I was on, I was a Hot 97 DJ. I remember when they started considering Biggie the throwback hour. I remember that very very clear. I remember Mr. C uh, was on at noon at the time. Yeah, that's my hot 97 days. I remember they, when they started considering guys like those records were throwbacks. I remember that. And like yourself, uh, protested. <laughs> you know, like... It, it's disrespectful, man. And that's, you know, I still have a problem because it's only the hip-hop culture that does that, that looks down 
at the legends that came before them. You know, they don't give the reverence. I wonder and why respect. that is. They don't give the reverence and respect that the the people who do rock and pop give. You know, they look up and idolize these people that came before. Yeah. Hip hop, it's like they have a a, a, a couple months uh, shelf life. The artist, you know, um, if, if you made a hot song, like you know, because we do have one hit wonders or maybe two hit wonders, if if they're gone and they don't make another song, it's like in a year they're old school. It's ridiculous. People have short memories. Eddie Van Halen just died a few years ago, about two years ago. Um, guitar God, and you would never find John Mayer mm-hmm. disrespecting Eddie Van Halen. Right. Just with, like Absolutely. you would never find. Uh, uh, Adam Levine, another guitar player, you know, you were, uh, Maroon 5, you would never find these guys disrespecting uh, Lenny Kravitz. Right. It, it, it's, it's not going to happen. Paul McCartney. Right. You know, it's Billy Joel. It's, it's just not going to happen. Any any legend, man. It's it's just, it's it saddens me and it it's hurtful that our people in power at these hip hop stations don't reverence and support the classic hip hop the way they really should. I mean, of course, now we have, you know, Sirius that can dedicate a channel. LL is getting busy. Yeah. Well, you know what? Oh my goodness. I, He's getting I, I, busy I'm on Sirius. LL. I'm, I'm grateful for LL being the advocate and pushing. I feel there's a lot more to be done though because beginning ll can't do it by himself what needs to happen is we need more people with knowledge of the history and the artists in place because some artists are getting left out we're seeing the same artists over and over the same legends which you know, I don't mind seeing these legends, but don't leave out the people that also may have been a one-hit wonder because those big hits still influenced other people. You know what I mean? There are there are people who were very popular who never get mentioned. And I hate that. I'm like, don't forget these people. Don't sweep these artists under the rug. You know, it can't be the same five, ten artists all the time. It just can't. I agree. You know? So that's my only beef when it comes to that stuff. You know, like give everybody the shine. And everybody. that will actually bring us full circle wrapping up because I'm sure that was probably the meaning behind founding fathers. Absolutely. Uh, bringing us full circle to the top of the conversation about documenting the culture, the truth, things that are. And I'll let you actually have the final word on that, being that, like you brought it back, you said, you know, the Founding Fathers, and you are one of the, the creators of Founding Fathers. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, an executive producer, and I, you know, did some of the interviewing of some of these legendary guys. I, you know, I got to meet Pete D.J. Jones, which was incredible. Pete D.J. Jones is a predecessor. I've seen him on camera via you. Before Cool Herc, you know? <laughs> He was doing his thing before Cool Herc, you know. I don't. I I've never heard of Pete DJ Jones tape, but I know the legend, and heard it from his own mouth, and from people who were there what this man did, 
And you can't sweep him under the rug because he could be the reason why we're all here, <laughs> you know, like from, from him. What, what is amazing is he's not here anymore, but you got to see him. You got to hear him. You know, he passed away a few years ago. So it's so important to capture the real story of who helped birth it, you know? And that was the whole purpose of this documentary. Um, when the documentary first came out, there was a lot of people protesting, oh, that's bull, this, this, that's that. But the thing about it is there were several people saying the same story that didn't even know each other about who did what, when. So if you have several people telling a similar story in different places and they're not around each other, it's got to be the truth. It's got to be the truth. You know, I had a conversation with Dougie Fresh and I had a conversation with um, um, DST, historians, both of them guys, like, forget, forget, forget it. Your head will explode when you hear the history from these guys. Right. But we had a long conversation about stuff that was ha happening up in Westchester and all these other places before even the same time as what was going on in the Bronx. It's, it's just that everybody has a contribution and all of them need to be heard. You know, stuff was happening in Philly. We don't know what year hip hop started there. Like that, that right. still needs to be told. You know, we know about Jeff. I heard an old tape of Jeff doing his thing, and it was it was a long time ago, man. On Pump know? Me Up. No, before all of that. Yeah, I heard something Pump Me Up in the like late eighties. Yeah, like that wasn't even made of this tape that I heard Jeff doing. But anyway, I'm just I'm just I'm just saying that we were blessed to get PTJ Jones. And uh, the promoter M. Martin Hall, they're gone. These guys are gone, you know, but we got the history from the source. You know, you had people like Curtis Blow there to verify and put the stamp on the, the facts. You know, you have Fab Five Freddy putting the stamp on the facts. You got um, Ralph McDaniels putting his stamp on what Grandmaster Flowers did. Um, you got DJ Hollywood breaking it down, telling the truth. You got um, L.A. Sunshine breaking it down about DJ Hollywood's influence on him. These are the stories that we need to hear. We have to hear the truth and who influenced who. You know? Give people their flowers, man. Bro. And I'm going to end on that, and I thank you because um, that documentary, brother, I could watch it over and over. And as, you know, you asked me when we were coming on today, you said, hey, D, did you freshen up? And I said, yeah. You know, and I also mentioned to you, I learned some more. And I said, Wiz, I have to watch it again <laughs> because I'm going to learn some more. Yeah. You know, I actually physically had to write things down. I didn't know, for example... I didn't know the Disco Twins personally before this, right? I know them personally now. Could right. call personally now. Right. 
Now, when I watch the documentary, it hits me different. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You get my point? Absolutely. Absolutely. It hits me different. Um, Absolutely. So much information in there, it just hits me different now. Um, And again, we both instruct, or not instruct, we definitely, I urge people, go check out Founding Fathers. It's on YouTube. And as DJ Wiz says, um, it's important. Even for the young generation, you guys right now, if you're watching, uh, we ask you, document your story. Mm -hmm. So no one else tells your story for you. Am I right, Wiz? Absolutely, absolutely, because there's only one you, and you only you can tell your story the way it needs to be told. So, Wiz, thanks for coming to hang out with me, my brother, man. Class was in session today. Um, I have my pen, my paper, my pad, and I have some notes down. I hope everyone else, if you like the video, subscribe to it. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, check out my brother, uh, DJ Wiz. He's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. Uh, check him out. Um, and he's all over the place. This yes, is my sir. man. Introducing D-Wiz, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> DJ Wiz, D-Wiz, we're the wizards. That's all I got to say. And we're no. also, look, we're also comic book fanatics and lovers. So, you see that right there? You see that? Like, oh, we go to movies, we call each other and talk about oh, comics okay. and Marvel Universe and things of that nature. Hey, join us. Hit us up. Subscribe, and if you're a DJ or whatever, you want to talk comics, we're with it, ain't we, Mark? And go check out the Kid and Play Marvel comic. We were the first rap group oh. and hip-hop group to ever have a Marvel comic book. That's a fact, though, right? 100%. That's in Marvel? Marvel comic Wow. Book. See, now, bro, just tell me. What did that mean to you that day? That, I can't, that, I can't that, let you say that, and we just that, leave. We're talking about Marvel, and you're like, "Yo, D, I'm a character in Marvel." Wait, Wiz. I am a character in Marvel. Come on, like, comic universe. we could leave the DJ thing now, like, <laughs> bro. Leaving with this. How did that feel? Who drew you? Like, you know, how does that process work? Do you guys approve things, or how does that work? Well. They had some uh, guys that uh, drew the comic, then drew us really, really well. We look exactly like how we look, pretty much. Um, we had nine issues, Kid and Play, one through nine. I would say definitely try to get your hands on the first issue. Um, I would say I like the cover of the fifth issue because I'm like right in the middle, big face, um, in between Kid and Play. And the ninth issue is the real big. I love it. The ninth issue is the the real biggie because we're right in the middle of the Marvel characters. They're waiting to fight us. Go on eBay and cop that, guys. What was your superpower? Oh, I didn't have any. I was scared. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I got to go read this. Yo, you. So let's just have fun with this. So you think you could beat Thor? (laughs) <laughs> okay, no, let me just talk about some other, uh, in that case, mortals. That uh, Daredevil, he's a mortal. You were a mortal in Marvel Universe. Well, I don't want to give away the story of the comic. You know, I want y'all to go read the comic. Go, go look for Kid and <laughs> Play it. number nine. And um, just look at the cover. I'm on the cover, and I'm standing with my fist like this. 
looking at Ghost Rider's head, looking looking at Ghost Rider right in the face. Okay, I'll leave it. At That's that. intense, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That being said, thanks for hanging out with us, Wiz, my brother. Thanks for hanging out, and I'm gonna go and check it out. And you better beat Ghost Rider down. <laughs> Much love. Much love. Peace, everybody.